Everybody, sorry for Casey lying in the church house again. <laughs> I told him the only thing I resemble of a good bowler is the ball. <laughs> it's about as close as I come. But still good, y'all come out. It's always so fun. We've been doing that for the last three years, I think. And uh, it's so fun. And just getting to know some of the people in the church that you may not get to otherwise. Maybe some in the first service. It's one of the things that we have the two services, being able to be somewhere at the same time. So it's good. It's good to see all those that are competitive and uh, what rises up in them when they get a gutter ball. It's pretty funny. So y'all come on out today at 3 o'clock. Today we're going to be picking up again in our series in 1 Thessalonians, and this morning we're going to start chapter 5, which is the last chapter in the letter. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. We finished chapter 4 two weeks ago, where we started looking at some of the eschatology that Paul suddenly begins to wade into here, talking about when Jesus returns to consummate history and restore all things to himself. Last time we looked at the somewhat controversial topic of the rapture, but today we're going to be looking specifically at the return of Jesus, which shouldn't be controversial at all. I mean, this is good stuff here. So let's begin by looking at what Paul wrote in the first half of chapter 5. Let's all stand together as we receive the word of the Lord. He says, Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for just the opportunity to gather here together in this place, Lord, in your name as your people. God, listen to you speak to us through your word. And God, I know that there are some who may have come in here this morning just with, uh, God, a fire in them that used to burn bright and strong, but... Somehow the circumstances of life and things in the world, Lord, have just kind of snuffed that out. God, I pray that this morning you would reignite that. Lord, would you blow on that ember that is glowing and make it burn hot once again. Lord, if there's anybody in here this morning that doesn't know you, anyone that has just been putting off, giving their lives fully to you, God, I pray that this will be the day that they change for eternity. Lord, we're expecting supernatural things this morning. So we're asking you to have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in high school, one weekend, uh, one of my good friends that I had known since the second grade, his name was Paul Wheeler. 
he came over to spend the night because we had made plans to to sneak out of the house later on and uh, meet up with some other friends of ours. And that evening I made sure that um, everything was in place. I drove a 1980 Ford Bronco back then, a big old tank of a vehicle, and made sure that I parked it on the street out in front of the house that evening because the street that we were on at that time just kind of had a downhill grade to it. And so I parked it there so that when we did sneak out, instead of having to crank it up and wake everybody, I could just put it in neutral and, and glide down to the end of the street and then start it when we got out of earshot. And so we had everything planned. I mean, it was an ideal situation. We had just recently moved into the house, and the first thing I noticed about it immediately was like, I can sneak out of that one. Because my bedroom was right there at the front of the house, and I had a big window that opened up to the front. Parents' room was in the back. And so it was an ideal situation. And so late that night, when we knew that everyone else was asleep, we made our move. We slipped out that window, opened the doors of my Bronco, didn't even shut the doors just to make sure we were quiet until we were all the way down at the end of the street, shut them, cranked it up, and off we went. After several hours, we made our way back to the house, and from all appearances, it looked like we were still good. Nobody had woken up. No lights had come on in the meantime, and so we carefully raised my bedroom window, and quiet and carefully began to make our way back inside, and then something happened. I'm going to tell you about it a little bit later, so I'm going to hold off right now. Because it has something to do with one aspect of what we're looking at this morning. So while Jesus was here on earth with his disciples, he told them several times that he was going to have to leave, but that he would return again. And after he rose from the dead, he, he stayed here on the earth. He hung out with his disciples for another 40 days. But on that 40th day, Acts 1-9 says that he was suddenly lifted up and received from their sight. And then as they were looking up into the sky, these two angels appear. And in verse 11, they say, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And what they meant by that was that Jesus would return in the physical body that they just saw him ascend to heaven in. It can't mean anything more than that because we know that the actual way that he is going to return is going to be quite a bit different than the way he ascended. And what I mean by that is that when he ascended, there was no great fanfare. There was no big dramatic event that took place. They were all just standing around talking like they had done for the last 40 days and just whoop. He just goes right up. The Gospel of Luke says that Jesus lifted his hands to bless them. And as he was blessing them, he departed from them and was carried up into heaven. This is not at all the way things are going to go down when he returns. The only way his return is going to be similar to his ascension is that he's going to be in the same physical body that he hung on the cross in, that he died in, that came out of that tomb and went back to heaven. He's going to return in that same way. So let's look at how the Bible does describe his return. And for that, we'll go to Revelation chapter 19. 
This text should be pretty familiar to many of you because I just preached on it last fall. I'm telling you, it's one of those texts that no matter how many times you read it, it never gets old. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11, it says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This picture of Jesus is quite a contrast to the way most of us probably picture him. This is not baby Jesus in a manger. This is not nice Jesus healing the sick. Instead of being swaddled in a blanket, he's in a robe dipped in blood. Instead of healing in his hands, he's got a sword coming out of his mouth. This is not the sweet, kind, gentle Jesus that he is often portrayed as. This is ferocious Jesus. His second coming will be very different than his first coming. You know, we don't really create space in our minds for the ferocity of the return of Christ. Because we're in this period of time right now where we're saying grace, forgiveness, mercy, Come to the table. Feast on the goodness of the Lord. And I'll tell you right now, that cannot be overpreached. It can't. I've been accused at times of putting too much of a focus on the grace of God, but I'm of the firm belief that we can't focus on it enough. If I did nothing but talking about, talk about the forgiveness of Jesus and the grace that he is offering right now, regardless of background, regardless of race, or regardless of how you limped in here today, I could never over-preach that. The good news of what Jesus has done and what he is offering now should never go old or routine to our ears. And the reason why is because every one of us still struggle. We are in need of that grace every single day. None of us have arrived yet. We're still wrestling with our flesh, still fighting against thoughts, actions, and desires of our wicked hearts that have to be laid bare before the Lord. And because of that, we need that constant reminder that His grace is there. To be reminded of the gospel is the very food for the soul of the believer So with that being our theme pretty much every week, to now look forward to a time where that offer of grace, mercy, and forgiveness is over. And Jesus steps back into the world, this time not to save it, but to judge it. That's a a scary version of Jesus that most of us would just rather not think about. We want nice Jesus. We want cuddly baby Jesus, not a tattooed Jesus with fire in his eyes and a sword shooting out of his mouth and wearing a robe soaked in blood. But here's the deal. We can't ignore the fierce aspect of Jesus because you cannot separate 
love and wrath. You just can't do it. I mean, to have real, powerful, unconditional, crazy, passionate love for something is also to have fierce wrath for anything that would harm the object of that love. If you're a parent, you should know this. You fathers, if you're like me, I mean, the first time I held my baby girl in my arms, that was the first time that the reality hit me that I could literally kill another human being with my bare hands. I mean, just the thought of someone coming in and wanting to harm our children causes things to rise up inside of us that most of us probably didn't realize was there until we had children. And so to love deeply means that the flip side of that love can move you to wrath. But Many people only want to talk about God's love to the point where they don't believe that he can have wrath. But no, to have love means to also have wrath. And it is that love-driven wrath that we see here in the return of Jesus. There is so much love in him for the glory of his name and the exaltation of his worth and the purpose and well-being of those who belong to him. His wrath is eventually poured out on all that would come against that which he loves most. Because this version of Jesus is such a contrast to the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness that we focus on now, many would rather just block it out and just have the attitude of, well, I don't even want to think about that right now. I mean, I know that's going to happen at some point uh, way in the distant future, but I'd rather just focus on the here and now. And I get that, I mean, to a certain extent. I know that there are people who are looking so forward to their turn, that's all they think about and waiting on is Jesus' return so much that they're completely missing out on the life that we have in him now. There's a saying that says, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. We don't want to do that, but we can't just block it out altogether. It's good to keep the return of Jesus in mind. And if you belong to Christ, it is something that we should look forward to with excitement, not dread. The only ones who should dread that day are the ones who are rejecting him now. For those of us who are in Christ, it is good for us to look forward to his return. It's good for us to keep that day in mind. And I'm going to give you three reasons why it's good, which will be in your notes there if you're following along in the bulletin. Number one, because it keeps us alert. Look again at the original text in 1 Thessalonians, verse 2. He says, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Jesus said the same exact thing when he was talking about his return in Matthew 24, saying that his coming would be like a thief in the night when you least expect it. And then verse 6, he says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober. This whole imagery of of staying awake, being sober, of the day, is just a weaving into our lives the awareness that Jesus could come back at any moment. Jesus was saying that's how we should live every day with, with that in mind. He likened it to a household, the head of a household, knowing when a thief was coming to break into his house. 
So let's say that you received some pretty good information that someone was going to break into your house. You don't know when exactly. You don't know exactly what time he's going to come. But you just know at some point that night he is going to break in. What do you do? You snuggled up with your pillow in bed just like it was every other night? Of course not. If you're snuggled up to anything, it's probably a cold piece of steel with your finger on the trigger. Just waiting. You're awake. You're alert. You're ready to roll. That's the kind of attitude Jesus said that we should have every day until he comes back. When Paul says to be sober, he's not just saying don't be drunk. And sobriety in that sense is definitely included, but it's not just that. The Greek language that Paul used there refers to being self-controlled and collected in all things, not just in your drinking. This is also very similar to what Jesus said about his return in Luke chapter 21. So let's look at that for a second. Luke 21, starting in verse 34, he said, Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. Now pay attention to what he says in these next verses because it speaks a lot to what we talked about two weeks ago. He says, For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all the things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. He's basically saying, don't be so consumed by building your own kingdom and so consumed by your own desires and worries because if you are, that day is going to be a big surprise to you. Here's something to think about. If you could choose anything now, if you could decide now what it is you will want to be doing when Jesus comes back, what would that be? I guess another way to think about it is what would you not want to be doing when Jesus comes back? Because there are a lot of people who, because they don't think he's coming back anytime soon, are going to be doing something that they wish they weren't when that trumpet sounds Back to the story earlier, Paul and I returned to the house. Everything appeared that it was just like we had left it, that we had gotten away with it. So we quietly lifted that window, and I went through, crawling on top of my bed, and it was absolutely pitch dark in my room. You couldn't see a thing, so we were kind of feeling our way around there. I had a chair on the opposite side of my room, and when I was all the way through, and Paul was about halfway through the room, window from the direction of that chair I hear hey (laughs) and the sound of my dad's voice apparently somehow he found out that we had left and so he came in there and sat in that chair the rest of the night until we got back I cannot begin to describe the sinking feeling I got (laughs) when I heard that and I just froze, just buzzing in my ears, like I'd just been knocked on the end of the chin. I just wanted to throw up right there. (laughs) Busted, caught, discovered. That moment suddenly came upon us like a trap, just like Jesus said it's going to come 
for others. And Paul and I, we didn't say a word. I mean, what could we say? Oops. <laughs> we were busted. And all my dad said after that was, we'll talk about this in the morning, which was absolute worst thing. <laughs> Did you think I got me sleep the rest of that night? No. I stayed wide awake, just dreading the horror that I was going to face the next day. That's the way it's going to be for a lot of people, but on a much bigger scale. And instead of, hey, they're going to hear the blast of a trumpet like nobody has ever heard before. And it will blow right at the exact time when many will have thought they got away with something. Some will be in a compromising position with someone they're not married to. Some will be stole cold drunk. Some will be watching something, either on TV or the computer or their phone that they know they shouldn't. And if you're a Christian and maybe you're doing something like that, am I saying that, that you're going to receive Jesus' wrath then and that you've just lost your salvation? No, I'm not saying that at all. But can you imagine how you would feel at that moment? That's why this reminded me of that story, because just that sick, I'm caught feeling is going to be how many people will be, but much worse. But how neat would it be if we were found doing the king's business when the king returned? Boy, that'd be good. And so keeping his return in mind, knowing that he could come at any moment, helps us stay alert and mindful about what we are giving ourselves to now. Being alert and sober about his return, it means there's a seriousness about holiness and living holy lives. There is a seriousness about leaning into his grace every day. There is an urgency about being about kingdom business. We discipline ourselves to walk in this way when we keep his return in mind. Number two, looking forward to his return puts things in the right perspective. Jesus said in that text in Mark to not only don't be caught up in your own desires of your flesh, but don't be caught up and consumed by the worries of life. We all know that we live in a very broken world right now, and every one, one of us run into that brokenness and are affected by it every day. Amen. Some of us in worse ways than others. I mean, hearts get broken, loved ones die, bank accounts dry up. These things happen, and no one is immune from any of it. And for some, the stresses and struggles can just be so overwhelming And many will allow those things to push them further away from Jesus rather than using those things to draw them closer to him. But keeping his return in mind puts those things in the right perspective. This past week just seemed to be a week where it seemed like more people in this community died than than usual for a week. Young people. Dying suddenly and in, in tragic ways. I did the funeral for one of them yesterday. And these things, just, it, every day it just seemed like there was new news. 
somebody else had died. And it just kind of weighed heavy on me as I was preparing this message this week. But as I was, I was reminded there's a day coming where I don't have to do funerals anymore. There's a day coming where I no longer have to make any more hospital visits. The struggles that we encounter now should remind us that a day is coming where we're not going to have to struggle anymore. And 10,000 years from now, when we've been up there with Jesus, nothing right now is going to mean a thing. Nothing. What we make so much of and fret over now won't mean anything. And so when we hear the weeping of friends and loved ones, we're reminded that there's a day coming when all weeping will end. When we see people agonizing over and being treated unfairly and being done wrong, we are reminded that that all that is wrong in the world right now is going to be made right. When we hear another story of someone who has been brutalized and abused, We are reminded that a day is coming when holy vengeance is going to be carried out and all abuse will end. A day is coming when all that is broken right now will no longer be broken and we hold fast to that day. And when we do, those things that seem so big now aren't near as big anymore. Some of those things that we think are so stinking important right now are just not near as important when we keep that in mind. We suddenly see things with the right perspective. The Bible says that when that day comes, that everyone, those who are on the outside of the kingdom, are going to flee to the mountains. Why? Because that is going to be a day of absolute terror for them. But for those of us who have repented and trust Jesus as as the only hope for salvation, that's not going to be a day of terror. It's going to be a day of great relief. Paul says there in verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath. He has destined us for salvation. That day for us will be such a relief. I don't know about you, but there are days where hmm, I just get tired. Tired of fighting my flesh. Although I know that Jesus has justified and sanctified me, there are days where I have these pulls on my heart that I have to fight. And if I can just be honest with you this morning, there are days where I have to guard that my worship is for Christ alone. And I'm not tempted to be bought. Or that I need your affection and affirmation. But rather that I would just want to please Jesus. And rest in his. And so right now. I have to wrestle those things. But a day is coming where I don't have to wrestle them. Anymore. It's going to be such a relief. 
And then number three, it reminds us of his mercy, patience, and grace. Like I said earlier, the gospel cannot be overpreached right now. We keep talking about his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy. We keep making that offer to come to the table and feast on his goodness. And we need to keep making that offer and announcing the good news to as many people as we can while there is still time because a day is coming when that invitation will close and that offer will no longer be on the table. And for all of those who have been putting that offer off, thinking that they still got time to live life their own way, a day is coming where that's going to be too late. When he returns, a sword will be shooting from his mouth with which he will strike down the nations and he will tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God Almighty. And when that happens, the invitation is over. But until that day comes, he is saving all over the world right now. He is wooing. He is rescuing He is ransoming. People raise their fist at God for all the injustice and suffering that goes on under his watch right now. Think how can a loving God continue to allow these things to happen? I recently read just this week about these poor villages in Nepal where these wicked men come and they make promises to these destitute families of a a better life for their little girls down in the towns below. And these little girls as young as six or seven are just sold off into sex slavery. That's just one small part of the world. I talked to a lady myself just this week who told me her amazing testimony, part of which was that when she was 15 years old, her and her mother were locked in a room for three months owned by a drug cartel, monitored, not allowed out for anything. You can just imagine the horrors that went on in that room for those three months. I have a 15-year-old daughter myself. And things like that and worse are happening all over the world right now. And God sees it all. He sees and is acutely aware of every deplorable, despicable act of man. But his wrath is building. And we wonder... How can he allow this to continue? Why doesn't he do something? (laughs) Believe me, he's going to do something. He's going to do something. There will be vengeance. But right now he is restraining his wrath. He holds it back while men and women herald the good news of salvation while there is still time. He holds it back while people are beheaded in the Middle East. He holds it back while we prefer pornography over full-out commitment to our spouses. 
He holds it back as we continue to belittle his name and treat Jesus as nothing more than an accessory to our lives. He still holds it back while injustice runs rampant all over the world that he himself created. And God is not cruel for allowing that to continue. No, he is merciful. He is patient. He wants to unleash that justice and vengeance. And I promise you, there are angels right now with sword in hand, standing at the ready, just waiting for that command to strike. Why doesn't he just go ahead and give the command then? Because there are still those who need to hear the good news. There are still some whom he is patiently waiting for to answer his call. And as much as you want to shake your fist at a cruel and unfair God, a fiery-eyed, sword-wielding Jesus has been restraining his wrath for millennia so that you could hear the good news. You want to count God cruel, but why would you when he has allowed some of you to be here today to to hear his offer of mercy? To hear his offer of you can be exempt from that wrath. Suffering continues to happen, but God is patient, and he longs for all to come to repentance. Look, (laughs) I'm glad he didn't come when I was 20 years old. I'd have been on the wrong side of things. And there are some people, probably some of you in here today, who are on the wrong side of things right now. But God is being patient with. His wrath is being held back while all those that he has purchased with his blood are being gathered. He's gathering all that his blood paid for right now. There's going to come a day when the gathering is done. And there are no more chances. And he's not being slow. He has a plan to rescue and ransom men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth. But his wrath is being held back while his glory spreads. And when we look forward to his return, we're reminded of that. That he's patient. That he's merciful. And that, that should inspire us to get pretty serious about being about his business. To get serious about joining him and what he's doing all over the world, world right now. Because I promise you this, he is not holding back his wrath so that you can have more time to build your kingdom. He is not holding his wrath back. While people are suffering so that we can just accumulate more stuff and be caught up in the meaningless minutia of our culture. Just wasting our time, melting our brains with just worthless junk. He's restraining his wrath so that we could join him in gathering as many as we can for the glory of God of his name while there is still time because a day is coming when that opportunity will end. But right now there's an offer on the table. And there are some of you I believe in here this morning that 
God's been looking forward to this day, been looking forward to you being here. He has been restraining his wrath so that you could be here today to hear his offer, to quit living life your way, and to come receive something a whole lot better, which is life that is only found in Jesus. And in turning to him, you turn from everything else that you've been living for. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful this morning for your patience and your mercy. God, it's, it's two things that we don't even come close to deserving. No, God, we deserve for you to unleash your wrath a long time ago. The only reason we are in this place today celebrating your mercy is because you held it back. And we thank you for that. God, I know it hurts you to see the suffering that is going on all around us. Some that are probably even going through it in here right now. God, your ways are so much higher than ours. And we just trust you. We trust you that one day all that is wrong will be made right. And God, I pray for those in here that are listening to your offer. It's not my offer. It's yours. To come to the table and feast on the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace you made possible through your shed blood on the cross and for the life that you offer because you live. Lord, I pray that today again will be that day where they don't put it off any longer. But today is the day. Lord, let us get serious about being about your business. Lord, forgive us for the mediocrity that we have consumed ourselves with. Forgive us for the fact that we spend so much time building our kingdoms rather than yours. Lord, I thank you that your grace and your mercy is even available for that. So, Lord, we receive it. And ask you to change us from the inside out so that things will be different for us. That you may be honored more in the lives that we live. Holy Spirit, would you come now and do what only you can do, which is to change lives. Which is to transform hearts and minds for your glory. In your name I pray, amen.